First, a quick word of introduction. Those of you who weren't here last week when the announcement was made, um, my name is Sylvia Sweeney. I am the professor of liturgics and homiletics at Bloy House, the Episcopal Seminary of the Diocese of Los Angeles. I am delighted to be here today with you. I am delighted to be back with John, who was one of my most beloved students. Um, and it was so kind of Kate and John to invite me to preach today. Just this past Thursday, when speaking to an international environmental youth rally, Pope Francis told the young people gathered, there must be harmony between people, men and women, and the environment. We are not enemies. We are not indifferent. We are part of this cosmic harmony. It is time to make wise decisions so that we can make use of the many experiences gained in recent years in order to make possible a culture of care, a culture of responsible sharing. I think that St. Francis would have applauded the message of his namesake, cosmic harmony, a culture of care, a culture of responsible sharing. These are values that St. Francis embraced in the late 12th century and that we, almost a thousand years later, are still trying to wrap our heads and hearts around. Why is it so hard for us? Shouldn't this be easy? Aren't these values of harmony, care, and responsible sharing something we expect even the youngest and most innocent among us to embrace and understand? I spent the earliest years of my ordained ministry in a rural town in northwest Montana where the industries were timber and mining. The old-time loggers of the congregation would tell me about how when the sawmill was locally owned, loggers used selective logging. They understood that keeping the forest alive and sustainable would allow them to continue to do the work they so loved to live amidst the profound beauty that enriched every day of their lives and to provide a good life for generations to come. But when the sawmill was sold to an international conglomerate headquartered in New York, things changed. The practice became clear-cutting. It was faster, cheaper, and brought the biggest bang for their buck to the stockholders of the corporation. It scarred the land, destroyed habitat, erased the majestic beauty of that region, and obliterated the future prospects for life in this community. 
loggers who knew better in their heart of hearts participated in this rape of the land in order to feed their children and to keep their homes. They sold their birthright and that of their children. They sacrificed their futures for the sake of preserving life as it was in the present. As I said, mining was the other major industry of the community, and those who went into the mines had no illusions about what they were doing. It was hard, dirty work, but it paid the bills. It bought them a good life for the hours they were above ground, a middle-class life, with a few creature comforts and the money to maybe send their kids to college one day. What the miners didn't know, but the corporation that owned the mines did know, was that the exposure to carcinogens the miners were experiencing and the release of these carcinogens into the environment of the town would lead to the death of hundreds, even thousands of them and their families for generations. The town would become so contaminated that decontamination would require the removal of 18 inches of topsoil across every square inch of every piece of property in the town. The town became toxic. People are now afraid to live there for fear of acquiring cancer from the air, the water, and the land around them. And because of that, no one who wants to leave can leave unless they walk away from everything they've ever owned. Maybe you or I we're stockholders in these corporations. Maybe we collected our dividends with no idea whatsoever of the horrific cost that the land and its people were paying for our little nest eggs. Maybe if we'd known the cost, we would have stood up and said something. Or maybe not. Maybe it would have all just felt too big, beyond our control, too overwhelming, too pervasive an issue to do anything about. Cosmic harmony, a culture of care, a culture of responsible sharing, it sounds so easy when it's just words. But St. Francis would tell us that it has to be more than just words. Last week, I was lying on a bench in the dark of night in Big Basin National Monument, staring up at that wondrous night sky. 
The landscapes on these mountains had massaged my tired soul all day long. The painfully exquisite colors of autumn, the brassy grasses waving in the wind, the pure gold glittering shimmering magic of quaking aspen leaves on snow white trunks, the crisp blue skies and wispy white clouds, the soothing fragrance of fir and pine, had all spent the day doing a number on my soul, breaking me open, quieting my urban franticness. And then when night fell, in that place far away from the city lights, staring up into the starlit heavens, one could hear first faintly, and then oh so clearly, the cosmic harmony of the heavens. The music of a world so much greater than ourselves, so vast, so beautiful, and so wondrous. Galaxies, suns, the planets in their courses, all serenading God, while we here on this fragile earth, our island home, attend or not to the music that surrounds us. Cosmic harmony, a culture of care, a culture of responsible sharing. It should be such an easy yoke to wear, shouldn't it? Francis understood what we too often forget. I hate to tell you, but we are the creatures, not the creator. And we dwell alongside all the other creatures of the cosmos. In fact, we dwell in such close proximity, both physically and spiritually, that what harms one of us harms all of us. When those primeval forests in northwest Montana were decimated, we suffered too. When those families received the tragic news of incurable asbestosis, we received that diagnosis too and all the careless, irresponsible acts we participate in consciously and unconsciously are destroying our children's and our grandchildren's futures just as surely as the people of Libby destroyed their children's futures. I am convinced to my core that in the end, the only hope we have left, the only answer to this gut-wrenching quagmire of destruction leading to self-destruction that we are participating in 
is learning to truly love creation again. Not simply to respond out of our own need to survive, but to respond to the wonder and beauty of creation out of gratitude and love. To love as Francis loved. To love the beauty around us. To love the beauty we see in one another's faces. To love the land and the woods and the seas and the creatures large and small, wise and innocent, down to the little turtles who inhabit this shared world we live in. Until we love again, really love the world we inhabit, the planet we know as our home, until then, we can never know the truth of today's gospel. And without that truth, we are a lost people in a lost, lost world. We, you and I, and all beyond these doors in this day, in this time, we are so weary and heavy laden by the suffering that surrounds us, the suffering we are living with, and the suffering we bring about. We are so weary that sometimes we forget to look up. So today, look up at the clear blue October sky Look at the sun shining on our golden California peaks. Look at the surf rising on a moonlit night. Look at the shiny black beetle sunning on the sidewalk and the tiny green shoot determined to survive in the crack of a city sidewalk. And look at the faces the beautiful, multi-hued hair, eyes, and complexions of the creature sitting beside you and in front of you and behind you. Those beautiful, beautiful faces. Listen to the music of their voices. And then let them remind you again and again how to love the whole of God's creation. For Francis knew, as Jesus knew, that the yoke of love is easy. And the burden of love is a liberating joy, not a burden. Cosmic harmony, a culture of care, a culture of responsible sharing. What a sweet, sweet song we could write with those lyrics, all sung 
to the cosmic melody of love.